So we're going to follow on from last week's episode, which is quite exciting. We've heard about this every week, I think. <laughs> every time we've mentioned any form of code, Tom's been in there with... Functional programming. Yeah! <laughs> is it is it fun, fun functional? Well, you've been reading the show notes, have you? Have I? No, I haven't even looked. <laughs> nah, that's a, um, that's a, a good YouTube channel, a learning resource. Oh, okay <laughs> but yeah functional programming functional programming is awesome i love it um it changed the way i code completely when i learned about it much later than i probably should have done um but yeah it's great and for once we're actually going to do what we said we would do in an episode once we actually teased it and now we're actually doing it. it's crazy Didn't think yeah, we would. something did not it did not depend it happened <laughs> <laughs> i was convinced that something would come up and make this not occur but here we are yeah. Can you sum up what functional programming is very simply for my small brain? <laughs> well, it's a, a programming paradigm, by which I mean it's a way of, it's like an approach to structuring programs and to writing code that does things on a computer. Um, so like the alternative suggestions, are, have you come across OOP, object-oriented programming? Yes. Yep. I've never heard of it called as OOP, though. Ah, uh, no, we'll get used to that. You'll, you'll... <laughs> That'll come. <laughs> Everyone just seems to say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oop. Oop is a thing. Um, and there's, uh, what do you call it, in procedural slash imperative programming, like a way of sort of writing, I don't know what you'd call it. Like, right. Like, you're getting off topic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, am I? What is functional programming? Simple. Oh, okay. Two sentences. Yeah. So, I don't know. Functional you don't describe all the words you're saying. Yep, okay. So sentence. functional programming is a way of programming that's built around functions as first-class citizens. And um, those functions are sort of structured so that you it's declarative. It's a declarative way of programming. And the, because the functions are first-class citizens, you can pass them around. You can do everything, you do everything with, with functions. And they're generally sort of... The idea of a pure function is at the core of functional programming and a pure function is a function that will given the same inputs always return the same output and will not produce any side effects and that's kind of the root of it and then there's a whole sort of level of stuff that builds on that so you have uh, higher order functions and they use things like functors and you do com composition and you pipe things together um, and there's a few sort of central tenets like mutation is bad and you should favor object composition over classical inheritance and you should avoid shared state um things like that um, but that's does that make any sense to you any of those words <laughs> i'm sure it will get clearer later i mean i was <laughs> it wasn't the words themselves i just i i i don't know it's the, the whole just i i mean i use functions in my code anyway so <laughs> I, I don't see how what i'm doing is different to is it maybe because I'm using classes and objects? You don't yes. use objects? Yeah. No, uh, well, it's it's tough to describe because in JavaScript, everything is an object anyway. Um, but the way of the way I think about like object-oriented programming is using classes. And so you have like a class has like a constructor and then some methods on it, generally speaking. And you build up more complicated things down the line by sort of inheriting stuff from those classes so the class dog inherits from the class of animal that kind of yeah. scenario um and i think that the classic line that they use there is uh, the functional programmers tend to use is that oh oh i wanted a banana but i got a banana being held by a gorilla and the rest of the jungle 
I like, see. So everything's kind of cleaner. Not, yeah. Not, so you, things aren't attached to each other as much. No, exactly. So things are much more broken down. Like the, the, the function is the unit by which you sort of put together your you structure your code. So it's it's more about it's more about the data flow through. So you when you're writing out, you're trying to abstract what's happening to the data by putting it into functions. And when you like the flow of your program is how the data moves around. I mean, we might have mentioned this on the testing one, but is this related to unit testing? It helps unit testing. So having functions as units, um, they're much easier to test. <laughs> so it, it really it, it does tie in nicely with that. I don't you don't have to do TDD to write functional programming, for instance. I mean, I don't, but I write a lot of tests and I find it much easier to write tests for like unit tests for pure functions than for anything else. Um, the, the other thing is side effects. Like, So a function is completely contained. That's one of the things. So you give it, like, when you're calling the function, the arguments that you pass to it, those parameters are the only things that function has access to. And then it will return something to you. And if you put the same things in, you'll always get the same thing out. So it's not reliant on any global variables. It doesn't share state with anything. So that's, so yeah. when they talk about side effects, it's you run a code, you run some code, and other bits of your state will change. So like if you look at a... I mean, even just looking at a for loop, you have, have them in Python, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah is, there but, a, is there a programming language that doesn't have for loops? Probably not, no. <laughs> but the, like the, you have... I for your your count yep. variable for I then, in range of naught mm -hmm. to ten, and every time you go along that I increment, so you've got then a loop, and inside that loop I is the number of the iteration of the loop that you're going on. Yes, going through. Is that right? That's mutation. I is changing on each time you run through it, and the stuff that's inside the loop is changing that I variable, which is outside of the loop, technically speaking. Um, so that's kind of a, a thing. But if you then had an array of stuff and you put that array of stuff into your function and the function deleted an item from that array or pop, like pop and push yeah. Uh, yeah. are often kind of things that will mutate the original array. So it's like changing in place rather than creating a new array. So a, a function, the, the functional version of that is you put in an array and you want to change something, you're then actually making an entire new array that is has the differences you want. And Does that end up using a lot more memory and resources? No, not not noticeably. Because if you're having to create something as opposed to just popping something off the front of it, I imagine that. No? I, it's n I never like you have to be you have to be careful in uh, in scenarios where you have to be careful about performance in any language, no matter how you're doing it. You have to be careful. You still have to be careful in functional programming if you're programming functionally, but. It's never been a problem. I mean, that tiny little bit of memory that it takes to, to make something else, like particularly in a, a, a sort of higher level language like JavaScript, you know, like it just just works. You don't need to worry about it. Okay. Um, so is there anything else that's like a key tenet of functional programming that we haven't mentioned yet? I was going to say, we, they heard something about Talking about this, not not mutating other things, but also not not working with like inputs and outputs from files as well. Is that is that part of functional programming? Um, so that would be like you can you're inevitably going to be kind of slightly imperative if you're reading from a file or a database. So there's there's a little areas where you have to like accept the fact that you ask the database for some information. You're not going to get the same thing every time. You've got to be prepared for that. Um, so that kind of 
like breaks the flow a little. Um, and that's where you get to the idea of having a functional core and an imperative shell. So you have like the bit that sits around your application that handles like getting things out and putting things onto a screen and like, storing it and like reading from external sources and all that. And then the actual bulk of your program, the stuff that actually does the work, can all be functional. Okay. Um, and lovely. So who came up with, where did this, what, or maybe a better question is, why did people start using functional programming? Or was it there first? Uh, I think, yeah, it was. It, if you go back through the history of it, there is a kind of sense of, um, Eric Elliott has an article called the, the Rise and Fall and Rise of Functional Programming. It's like big in the 70s, went out of fashion, came back again. I could be wrong on the dates there, but that's the kind of the general gist and time frame that we're talking about. Like the beginnings of computer science, it was a thing, and then it kind of fell out of favor for a little while, and oop took over. Um, and but now I think the trend in the last certainly the last five years seems to be functional is on the rise again. Um, and the reason it's on the rise, and the reason it was used in the first place, is because it's a nicer way to code. It's you, few, you it helps. I find this you get fewer bugs. I think the the mo- biggest you don't get no bugs, of course, because it's humans writing this stuff. <laughs> still, things still break. But one of the biggest sources of of bugs I found is just the mutable nature of data and side effects. They are two big causes of inconsistencies and unpredictable behavior inside your program. So having like a system in place that locks that down from the start means like that's much less of a problem. It's the same way as like doing TDD means you. You have fewer bugs. You have fewer bugs by having pure functions because they're much more comprehensible. Um, I think something that we've not really stressed enough in this episode yet is that the fun- uh, the functions, you, you can break them down and, and so they're each individual function is very simple. Like that's the, the, the aim of it is, yeah, they have very limited scope. They have very limited access to anything else. They just take in some stuff, do something to it and then output that in a predictable way. And what that means is you can then build complex bits of functionality by chaining functions together. So, so in, in in functional programming, you're more likely to have a lot a lot more functions. Oh yeah, than, than in uh, object oriented. Yes, yeah. You wouldn't ever get like a class can even what like once you get the like the mechanics of you're putting methods on this class thing. Um, like if you're in if you're doing that in JavaScript in the old I say old-fashioned way, but the older way you're, you're sort of extending the object prototype uh, of a, of something, um, it gets like that gets really long and unwieldy. Things are in different places. I can you can I have files in my programs that go more than a hundred lines long. It does things do get big, but the general push is to make things simpler and smaller and more straightforward, and then to use those simple small building blocks to put together in a put them together in a way that does what you want. Um, and so the the idea of putting those things together, like something, uh, a fun- you then have a higher order function, which is very very like simple. Um, I think I suppose the the definition of it is a a function which can either take a function as an argument or return a function or both. Um, so you're actually passing. So you've got a function. You're passing in a function and some information. <laughs> it's doing the stuff and then applying that function for you. So like the classical so like map. Yeah, map is the perfect example. That was what I was going to say. Map and reduce are the two canonical examples of higher order functions where you're kind of mapping over an array and in that map function, you're putting in another function, which is what you want to do with this, each item in that array that you map over. 
and then reduces the same but with an extra level of complexity. Is map not just like a for loop behind the hood? Yeah, but you look at it and you look at the flow. You're not having to set any... You don't have to set a, a variable outside of that map block to make it work. So if you're looping over and, and adding something to an array, like it's going to re- return... By, by default, it returns an array anyway. So you put an array in, get an array out, and you're just iterating over that kind of stuff. And it makes it very... So you could then chain lots of maps together if you want to do different things, or you could chain a map into a reduce, into a filter, into a sort, and do all that kind of stuff. So it gets quite powerful. Um, I mean, the way I... I mean, I'm fairly new in my journey into functional programming, only like a year and a half into like getting my head around it properly. So there are certain things like currying, which just blows my mind every time I see it. I just don't, <laughs> don't know. Like, that's like... Can you explain what it is? Yeah, this this is this is the probably the problem um, is that I can't really. <laughs> it's, it's one area where I'm like, oh, I don't really know what that is. Um, but so I think of like connecting functions together and, and putting the composition of functions as um, sort of composing them and piping them, which is kind of two ways, like the same thing but in different directions. So if you pipe something, you write like map something dot map, do another thing, dot filter, dot sort, and each time you're chaining on, you're piping the output of the first function into the next one. Yeah. And then composing those is another kind of higher order function that will combine the things, but in the reverse order. So when you, it's just a way of semantically writing it slightly differently. I find piping much more logical to my, my frame of mind. Currying then is when you're passing functions as functions into functions into functions into functions and chaining arguments and i guess yeah i can't describe it very well because i don't fully understand it okay (laughs) (laughs) well maybe do you have maybe a a link or somewhere yes i do i have somewhere people could go to absolutely find out Um, more about it (laughs) so one thing so there's a fellow called eric elliott who's written a whole series on medium called composing software i would what I have done is buy the book. I would definitely recommend other people do that. It's an excellent book. Um, and he talks about all these things in great depth. And one day I will finish reading it and then I will know what currying is. <laughs> it's the gist. Um, um, uh, so he has an article called What is Functional Programming? We'll put the link in the show notes and just Googling what is functional programming, Eric Elliott will get you that thing. Um, and there's also um, a book called Functional Light JavaScript which is by a fellow called Kyle Simpson, who I've mentioned on the podcast before. Um, I did a, a workshop with him a few years ago, and that was what, like, probably about four or five years ago now, and that was what kicked my kicked me into taking JavaScript much more seriously and that becoming my primary language. Um, was a two-day workshop with him. Um, and he's written a book called Functional Light JavaScript, which is one of the... Th- one of the th- trends i've seen cropping up again and again when you hear people writing about javascript uh, writing about functional programming is people saying oh it's full of buzzwords and people really take it very seriously um so in this one i'm not really i'm not going to tell you what a monad is i'm just going to address it from first principles um and functional light javascript by carl simpson does that in spades like it doesn't it kind of completely ignores the traditional dogma of of it and just concentrates on like a more pragmatic way to making it work and that's so uh, that's quite useful if you're getting into it. And also um, for things like like if things like map and reduce are not familiar to you, um, check out Fun Fun Function, the YouTube channel by MPJ, um, Matthias. So anyway, yeah, you know, his initials are MPJ, and that's how he calls himself. And that's a really good YouTube channel. Um, if you go back, I think I was looking at it this morning 
like getting the link for the show notes and the really great videos about sort of map and reduce and how like what functional programming kind of like the building blocks are are they're, they're like four years old now i think these videos are three or four years old and i still think of them as, as fresh and new but they really opened my eyes to a whole new way of programming and that's he is doing those things in javascript and is like a really good i don't know educator isn't the right word but he's a good sort of youtube personality <laughs> he has a good way of explaining those things um, is uh, is functional programming more suited to javascript or is it because it's like kind of more of a way of thinking about coding it's kind of be, can be used anywhere as a concept you can apply it almost anywhere i think into any language um, but there are certain things that certain aspects of languages that make things useful and not useful so the reason javascript is really good for functional programming is because in javascript functions are first class citizens you can assign them which means you can kind of pass functions into other functions you can pass them around in the same way that you would any other data type like an array or a string um and not an object function is basically just a type of object in javascript which makes which is really useful um where it's not so useful in javascript is the idea of mutability um so things like even though javascript now has the const keyword for constant instead of the variable or let it's not that those things aren't technically locked down so that's why there's things like typescript which is then a kind of subset of like a, a different way of interacting with the JavaScript language. In, in fact, it's technically, I suppose, a whole language by itself, which is built around the idea of you sp- specifying the types that you have. I don't know if you... Do you know the idea of strongly typed and statically typed languages? Yes. Yeah. Because so. I did some C and then I did yeah. some Python. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, so, so JavaScript is not... JavaScript is very loosely typed. It coerces everything. You put in put in a an object or a string or a or a boolean into something and javascript will just work out what it is based on how you've written it it's not going to you, you don't have to declare what your types are so typescript is essentially doing that um, but that also adds in then there are there are various libraries you can have there's one called deep freeze and things which i use for testing like if i want to make sure that things are not being mutated i'll like deep freeze in a, an object and then you can sort of do comparisons and it stops them mutating at all so it's not easy and then so there are other i think haskell i think it's the canonical like functional programming that's, language that's the one i'd heard of and if, yeah. if someone said go and learn about functional programming i'd probably have started with that <laughs> hmm. but i think i mean my attitude being a, starting off as a javascript developer and then finding out about functional programming was i'm going to make that work in what i know and it works really well in javascript so i'd recommend it but like i imagine you could apply the same principles to python in much the same way yeah there'd probably be aspects of it that are easier aspects of it that are harder yeah i know mean, it's better to do it if you're doing it statically typed is it uh, or easier to i think not not like, go wrong yeah i think there's lots of benefits benefits to doing it that way i don't do it that way if that's anything to go by <laughs> like i just yeah i just keep vanilla javascript as much as i can but there's lots of different um libraries to help you do functional programming as well so i don't know uh, and yeah, Black Python has kind of a, a pretty good standard library for all sorts of different things, but JavaScript doesn't really. So you're reliant on modules and packages from other people. Um, and there's various things like underscore has become or Lodash rather, sorry, has become really popular as a kind of a utility library of helper functions. There is a functional equivalent of that. So I think it's like Lodash dot functional dot something or other. Um, but they have functional versions of all their utilities. And that's a key part of it as well, is that you could break, because you're breaking down every bit of functionality into a tiny little function, you can then have libraries of helper functions that you build. So you build like a little suite of tools that will help you throughout the rest of your program that aren't tied. Like the function never cares what data is passed into it. 
is one of the things. I found a quote here. In a functional paradigm, you don't tell the computer what to do, but rather you tell it what stuff is. Yeah, I I find those kind of descriptions pretty pretty woolly, and and I don't know that they are massively helpful. So it's more of... You would use a recursion over a loop. Yeah, exactly. Instead of a loop. Yes, because a loop by itself is pretty well they're statements you try and avoid statements like so for if switch throw so generally generally speaking if you're using some a statement like for or if switch throw um those statements are not they're kind of more symptomatic of imperative code so you really want to be looking at expressions so you're setting a function and then some operators in there so in a way they're variables used will only be will only ever be one thing yes exactly everything is a constant it's the way of of looking at it Um, so once you've got a variable you know what it is it's not going to change and that's that mm -hmm. oh I quite like that yeah and uh, that that is really useful and it means like I find I write fewer I write fewer bugs by writing by obeying the kind of functional programming dogma I mean, we haven't talked about monads or functors or endofunctors or anything. No, I know like that, we. we, we yeah. You have brought up these uh, odd-sounding words <laughs> in the past. Where do where do they all come from? A lot of it is mathematical um, notation. So, what um, a lot of the basis of early functional programming comes from like, category theory and lambda calculus. So we, we talked about lambda calculus last week in the maths. Yeah, talking about maths and mathematics, and that's kind of what led us into making this episode, the functional programming episode. Um, so in lambda calculus, you have the idea of a, this concept of a lambda function. And function, I think that the three tenets are like functions are always anonymous. Functions are always unary as opposed to binary or ternary, which means they only take a single parameter. And then so you chain, if you want to do something that takes in more... Like like giving multiple arguments to it. Yeah, function. so if you want to yeah. give multiple... So, you, if, so in lambda calculus, you only ever have one argument that you would pass so if you wanted to so if you want to add a to b mm-hmm. you would have a function that takes a uh-huh that then func- that then leads to a function <laughs> that, that takes b that takes the function yeah b. and so, then you'd have another mm-hmm. function that takes but you, how could yeah. you ever take uh, that see, see that <laughs> in <least>. its, <laughs> yeah, so that in its in its essence is currying that so that idea of like you only ever have one input and output it's carrying so that's the bit that i get a bit fuzzy on um but yeah. this other this other idea that functions are first class comes from lambda calculus as well um and there so the, the lambda calculus way of doing things that's a mathematical thing it's got its own world and i'm pretty sure that's where functors and endofunctors and monads come from there's like mathematical terms terminology essentially that has creeped into programming um, yeah and it does mean okay. that functional programming is often... It, it, there's a lot of buzzwords, and there's a lot of stuff that you hear it for the first time, and it's like, oh, yeah, a monad is just a monoid in the category of endofunctors. And you're like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> that was yeah, very helpful. I imagine that, that yeah. probably puts quite a lot of people off. I think it does, yeah. Which is why I think there's such an uptick lately of people explaining functional programming and like, like just ignore the lingo. It's actually just a really cool concept. Um, yeah. Which is what that functional light javascript by carl simpson book is talking about so like approaching it from that thing it's like this there are useful principles here you don't need to be a nerdy fanboy and get the lingo and learn everything to find it useful i mean so my the way that i write code at the moment is not 100 percent functional at all i'm just sort of pragmatically working my way towards like there's a lot like so far every time i've adopted 
a functional programming concept, it's been massively useful and has meant my code is more efficient, it's easier to read, it's easier to reuse, and there are fewer bugs. <laughs> that's about yeah. it. And that's I can't think of a better reason to use something. So because I now have like having like adopted pure functions and adopted higher order functions and adopted the concept of immutability and found those things to be really useful, I'm now more open to the idea that I probably should learn currying and I should probably learn how to like properly like do ifs and switches and things without having to lean more on recursion as opposed to loops and things for instance i don't see how an if statement is yeah i not see that that's something like because that seems like you're not change you're not changing anything with an if statement mm, necessarily like, and there are so many ifs in my code at the moment. <laughs> so, yeah i don't know how i could live without them i don't yeah so if you're listening and you're a functional programmer fp tell me what's wrong with ifs <laughs> Fours, yeah, fours, I completely understand. Like getting rid of loops like that. Like I'm, I now, yeah. If it can't be done with a map or reduce, then let's do some recursion. Let's make it happen that way. It's much, much better. And, and a switch, to be honest. No, no, switches are gross. I well, they are. We they don't they don't exist in Python. You have to do they not? Oh, that, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, they're all over PHP. <laughs> or the bad PHP that I wrote. Was well, the only switches. time I came across them was JavaScript. So. Yeah, so I've written I've, yeah, in my time. I've written many a switch statement, um, and I'm glad to have alternatives because it's much neater and nicer. Yeah, yeah. I think the the things to take away, like if you want to like get the main benefits of functional programming, like why why is it a thing that exists? Why do people do it? Why are there benefits? It's the idea that things are built around very tiny functions that are very easy to understand and they don't have side effects. They always do the same thing when you give them the same inputs and that you're not mutating any global state. So there's not any instance where state gets really confusing because you're like, oh, what does that variable now? Oh. One of the instances that came up recently, in, in my work we use a, a library called Moment moment.js for dealing with like time, time string formatting. Yeah. So adding, adding hours onto a time string and outputting that kind of stuff. Um, and in that you set you so say you've got a date that's stored in a string value you would sort of convert that into a moment object and then in that moment object you can add two hours and then output it in the format that you want or you can take away three months or you can work out the difference in seconds between that and some other time and it does it in a really friendly and easy to use way but say you have you make yourself a constant in javascript like a const and have the date as being today and then you want to make another object that is that, but the next day. So you you then take that object and you go dot add one day. So it now it now represents tomorrow. So you've got your new variable that has that, but the old one, the one that you set as today, doesn't mean today anymore. That mean that has now been changed. That has been changed in place by the library when you did the add called the add method on it so the next time you use it it actually means tomorrow so you can be looking at a value that says today on it and thinking that it's today you add one day and suddenly you get the day after tomorrow comes back as the result and you're like uh -huh. well that's not what i was expecting so like it's a i mean the functional way of getting around that with a moment is you just clone the object instead of accessing it directly before you do anything to it um but this is like a so it would have been you change the way you name variables as well you wouldn't call something today because that'll only be so a better example the 5th of june or whenever is what you're setting it in and you add one day to it and you get the sixth and then the next time you look at the 5th of june and you add a day to it and you get the seventh that's a weird bug 
Yeah, so you're not you're not adding it in place. You just want to mm-hmm. create a new a new variable. Yeah. Variable B is sixth of June plus one. Yeah, I don't know if that's a useful example or not, but that's like one instance where mutation bit me on the behind recently. <laughs> like it took me. I had like five minutes of like, oh, what the, what what what's going on? I don't understand. Ah. T- time always seems to be a very tricky thing to deal with in uh, code. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the hard things. One of the hard things. <laughs> He says working for a company that does mostly time. <laughs> time strings. Um, can we just come back to what being first class means quickly? Or can I tell you what I think it means? Yeah, go on. Yeah, that's probably a better idea. So functions are now first class, so they're treated just like you would treat a variable or a list or an array mm-hmm. or, a di- or an object, for example. So they're, yeah, I guess that's yeah. what. So you make, you, make a new va- you make a new variable. You have const my cool thing, and then you assign that to be the expression of the function. That that variable then, as you pass it around, is that function, essentially. And you can put that function into other functions. You can pass it as an argument. And you do all sorts of things with it. You do anything you can with a normal object or a string or a Boolean. And I, to be honest, I've never worked in an... I don't think I've ever really worked in a programming environment where that's not the case, but I'm not much of a low-level language kind of guy, so... So if you passed, if you said like A is this function, but you need to pass something into it, would you mm-hmm. still just use, a, why not just use the name of the function? Well, the idea is you don't, the function doesn't have a name. You're kind of, you're switching it. So you're you're just creating a variable with the name. And then, yeah. Mm. It's, it's just, <laughs> <the> <laughs> yeah, I think maybe we're, it's one of the things that enable, like you can't do functional programming if fun- functions aren't first class citizens. Um, so that's why it's always sort of brought up as one of the things to mention, but it's not like the, th- it's not the thing that makes it worth doing. It's like, oh wow, all my functions are first class citizens. Now I'm, my code is much better. No. You have to treat them like you would. You have to think about side effects. You have to think about mutation and you have to think about those functions being pure more than I think that that's the more important part. Mm. Well, here it says maybe, it's maybe more to do with, Functions can be returned as values from other functions. Yes, as well. Yeah, I think that's yeah. probably an aspect that I've maybe missed off. Is that you can pass them in, but then also the function can get can be returned. So you can say, "Give me this. Do do some stuff with this information." It comes back with a function that you can then do some more things with. I guess it's quite a. We're not going to be able to crack functional programming in the <laughs> half an hour podcast, are we? <laughs> yeah, but it genuinely has made like in the last year and a half when I've been working towards a more functional flow of the way of doing things i find my code is much easily more easily comprehensible it's easier to share it with colleagues and talk about it it's easier to compose those bits together to make new functionality reusing what i've already done reuse becomes much easier and just the general flow of it like the way of thinking about i'm thinking about how the information how the data is moving through my program rather than the nuts and bolts of how those things are plugged together because you can follow the flow. You don't need to actually look at... You, like, if you're naming the functions well, if, if the functions are sensibly named, you can just read the flow of, like, here's your data. You put it into this function that does something to it and this function that does something else to it. You'd know, even without like, inspecting the code of those functions, you know what's happening because it's clear and obvious. Great. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to add into that? I feel like I, feel like I do have a, a broader understanding of what it means. Mm-hmm. And I, when people can talk about it now, I can have some sort of knowledge under the hood. 
Yeah. I feel I like I'm talking uh, about Moads and Moonads and <laughs> whatever. Oh, that, yeah. A mon- Monad is oh, it's essentially just flat map something, if that means anything. <laughs> Yeah. So a, a function is, a, a, sorry, a functor is something that can be mapped over, like an array is a functor. So you can put, you can do dot map on the end of it and it works. A monad is something like that that then kind of flattens that array at the end of the process. Well, I mean, if you just want to go off talking about these words for a couple of minutes, I'll, <laughs> I'll sit back. The equivalent of putting on a long song as a DJ, so <laughs> take a toilet break. <laughs> I imagine that sort of stuff won't, may not come over very well in a podcast for no it really doesn't no <laughs> um, sort of thing i think yeah i think the broad overview and the general what the paradigm means hmm. is uh the more useful aspect of this yeah it's not procedural it's not imperative it's not object oriented it's its own thing it's a different way of thinking about code that focuses on not mutating state and things everything's functions everything's functions and it's great <laughs> And on the back of this, I feel like we should do a do an episode on object-oriented programming next week because we haven't, we haven't talked about that. I quite like it. <laughs> oh, it's just such a mess. I don't like it at all. Um, and uh, no, it has its it has its uses, but just don't ever use it. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you about it. I can try and sell it to you. Yeah, maybe that's a good that's an idea. Yeah, test how much you've learned and test how little I know <laughs> as well at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's, it, we, this episode's probably been a bit scattergun. Like it, I don't think I've given a concise description of what functional programming is, but I've also mef- referenced a few articles where people can go and get that kind of concise. Yes, interview. and they'll be in the show notes as well. Yeah. But if, if you've, if, I guess the aim is, we I mentioned functional programming a lot when I'm talking about programming because it's kind of the main bit of programming, like the main way of writing programs that I employ. So hopefully now, if we mention it in future, people have at least a vague sense of, ah, yeah, he's using functions. Yes, I'll be able to reference back to this episode when uh, when you start yabbering on about it. <laughs> I'll say we've done, we've done one on functional programming already. Yeah, also maybe maybe it's cleared, cleared the air. We don't have to talk about <laughs> yes. it so much anymore as well. It's probably good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about uh, covers everything I wanted to say about it. Well, it doesn't, but it's probably as much as, as much as I can say about it that wouldn't, like make you make your brain dribble out your ears. <laughs> I feel like you've got a book in you for this. <laughs> well, it's only because I have, in the recent past, read lots of books about functional programming. I've got a lot of it's in there. Uh, it's not well organised. It's not useful. <laughs> Everyone, else, lots of other people have done it better previously. So thanks for listening, and make sure you check us out on Twitter at aqo code, and our website is aqoc.dev. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you.